I've asked uh, Phyllis to speak tonight and believe it's appropriate. You know, marriage is not just a man deal. It's not a one-sided deal, <laughs> right? Uh, you got the husband's side and you got the wife's side. And, and, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm a great husband. Well, you know, it's not really what you think. It's what your wife thinks. <laughs> well, I'm a great wife. Well, <laughs> that's your opinion. But your husband knows more about that than anybody else. And uh, Phyllis and I have been married for 27 years. And we dated, what was it, four years before that. So we've been together a long time. And uh, really grew up together. We got married real young. And, and uh, she is really a helper to me. I'm telling you, after the Holy Ghost is Phyllis that helps me. Amen. It's a fact. I thank God for her, and she is uh, full of the Lord and full of wisdom. And so I want you to reach your hands out this way, and I want you to receive her just like you would me and just like you would the Holy Ghost. And, Father, we just pray and thank you for your anointing. Thank you for utterance full and complete tonight. Give us all ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart open to receive. And, Lord, we'll not be hearers only, but we'll be receivers and we will be doers of what you say to us and show us by your grace. Amen. Glory to God. All right. Help yourself, Miss Phyllis. All right. Well, glory. Well, I'll tell you all to start with. Y'all may can sit there quiet for Keith, but our church people know that that's not the way it goes when I speak. So y'all might as well just loosen your belt buckles and relax and take your shoes off. Because I got ten pages worth and we're going to be here a while. Keith has taught me well. When we first started ministering, I guess it's been, when was that first marriage meeting we had? Uh, it's been probably 20 years almost. And uh, he went um, for two hours and we got out earlier than him and he said, well, you can't do that. So I learned. So I go two hours now. That's the way I learned. So uh, here we go. No, uh, everybody that doesn't know me, um, Keith and I, I usually like to tell people a little bit of our background so they know uh, a little bit about us when we're doing this. Guys are not just real detail people. Have you ever noticed, you know, most guys are not just, you know, Keith, I'll say, how was the service tonight when he travels on the phone? He'll call and when the service is over, how was the service tonight? And he'll say, fine. Well, what did you speak on? Oh, you know, the word. I mean, that's the extent of the conversation. <laughs> You know, and that's all the conversation that we get, you know, but us women, you know, we want to know what you spoke on when you got back to the hospitality room. What did you have to eat? How long did you speak? You know, what did you wear? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So um, we are more that way. So uh, that's why I have 10 pages and he can have three. So I mean, because we give more detail. But uh, Keith and I, like you said, we've been married a long time. We uh, started dating when we were in junior high almost. Uh, we couldn't date yet, but we snuck and date. You know, we I'd, mama wouldn't let us ride a motorcycle. So uh I'd sneak at the football game and she'd be watching the football game and I'd be off on the motorcycle with him, you know, and not doing anything wrong. We were just, you know, piling around, you know, being friends and stuff. And uh, we started when we were very, very young and uh, we got married two days out of high school. Hello is right. And um, we got married. That was the extent of it. And it was like when you got married, have you ever, probably never, but Imagine in your mind that you get two cats and you tie their tails together and you throw them across a clothesline. Can you imagine that picture? 
I mean, there's going to be some scratching and biting going on, right? Well, we didn't really scratch and bite. We never really, you know, got physical or anything. But if there was ever any words that could be said, we've probably said them all. We've probably done it all. And we learned how to be married the hard way. Now, I've got some advice for you. Don't go that way. You know, learn from somebody that knows what they're talking about and uh, has been maybe through it and can tell you how to keep from that happening. You know, like we told these guys last year, you know, they came on their honeymoon last year. And so they're getting off on a good track and they're back here again this year. So, I mean, they're going to be way ahead of where we were when we started. So um, we um, got married and um, we lived in a little mobile home. And not long after we were married, I got filled with the Holy Ghost and saved, and he had gotten saved when he was younger, and we started beginning to learn how to live for the Lord. And, of course, that would be the first step with anybody with their marriage stuff. So tonight, it is a marriage seminar, so I thought the first thing that we would do is look up. I thought, okay, well, what's the first thing you do on a marriage seminar? So I got the dictionary out, and I looked up the word marriage. Do you all want to know what the dictionary says the word marriage is? Some of you heard last year, but, you know, I'll tell you what Webster's Dictionary. Go look it up when you get home. It says, the act of being married. Now, that describes marriage for everybody in here, right? That just answers all your questions. And then I thought, well, okay, I'll go to the Bible dictionary and see what it says about marriage. And so it pulls up the word, and it's, you know, in all these funny letters and stuff. And it says, look at this, O-N-A-W, like, oh, no. (laughs) That's the Bible dictionary for marriage, oh, no. But what it says is to dwell together, that's marriage. The Bible definition of it was. Or then it says, coffin, which is two different words. One of them says you're living together, and the other one is to give your daughter away in marriage. Now, these are all the definitions I'm finding about marriage, okay? And then it says to join, to have a father-in-law, a mother-in-law, a son-in-law. Now, go home and look it up for yourself. See what I'm talking about. There was no definitions of what marriage would be in any place that you'd look up the word marriage. It did say that it was to wed. So we understand what that is. Okay, so you got married. So then where are you? Okay, so I thought, well, let's look at the scripture. That's always Faith Life Church. If you've been around here very much, we learned our first sermons around here was where's the scripture for it? So turn with me to Genesis and let's look real quickly at this so we can get on with what I really want to get to tonight that y'all are really going to like. Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at the first marriage and see what it was. Genesis 2:21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a what? Woman, remember that. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Now here's the definition of marriage, as best I can find it, the institution of marriage, I guess you could say. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. To me, that would be one of the better definitions. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So I looked a little more at some definitions, and some other definitions said an intimate or close union. 
Some marriages are not that. They are married, but that's definitely not what their definition would be, an intimate or close union. Or a union of a joining of a man and a woman to dwell together with sexual cohabitations. So all these explained it really well to me, what a marriage was. But what I want you to get first is when it said in verse 22, what did it say? And he made what? So a marriage is what? A relationship between a man and a woman. Okay, it said a man and a woman. And if you look up the word woman, the Hebrew word for that says isha, which means feminine. So as you go through life today and all of our confusion about what marriage is, if you ever have anybody asking you about it, then here you go. You bring them right back to Genesis and it says a man and a woman. Okay, look at Genesis 3.20. Let's cover this just for a minute so that people are not confused about this at all. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Then look at verse 4.1, Genesis 4.1. Now, this is the part that I have a trouble with some of today's society. And Adam knew his wife, and she did what? Now, can that be done with today, the way things are going? So is there any confusion about what a marriage is? Is it a man and a man, or a woman and a woman? Okay, like Brother Hagin used to say, he created them, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So uh, there's your answer about, you know, what a marriage is. It's a union between a man and a woman. And it also said Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bare Enoch. Adam knew his wife again and she bare a son. Well, it'd be difficult for a man to bear a son. So uh, if you have any questions and you're dealing with anybody in relationships and stuff, a marriage is a union between a male and a female. Not a male and a male. So uh, anybody that has any trouble with that, the best place to go is find it in the scripture. So here we go. So the next thing I wanted to know, since we kind of know what a marriage is, it's a union between a man and a woman. Okay. The next thing is, when is a marriage? And I really, really like this one. I started looking back in the Old Testament at some of the first marriages and stuff. And I really like this one. And you ladies are really going to like it. We're going to play back at Keith tonight for all the lady things he told last night. So look real quickly at Genesis chapter 24, verse 22. And we're going to lay a little bit of scripture here and then we're going to go on. This is the story of Isaac and Rebekah. How many of you remember that story? Abraham was dying and he sent out his servant to uh, find Isaac a wife and he went to the well and she was drawing the water and all the other things. And if you haven't read it, it's a good story to read. But this was my favorite part. This has to happen before you can be a wife. I'm assuming this because this is scripture, right? So we always base everything on scripture. So this must happen before you're a wife. Read verse 24. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring a half a shekel of weight and two bracelets for her hands and ten shekels of a weight of gold. So, I mean, she's getting jewelry right before they even get married. You see that, right? I mean, that's a prerequisite to being married, right? Then let's confirm it in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Here we go. Genesis twenty four fifty three. This is a prerequisite to marriage. So y'all pay real close attention, ladies. And the servant, the servant. Now, you know you got a servant before you even get a house. So that's a good thing. Okay? You got the servant before you even get the house. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. 
And he also gave some to her brother and to her mother. Glory to God. So, you know, you get all kind of jewelry and all kind of clothes before you get married. So if you didn't get that, you messed up. You got to start all over again. So, um, just, you know, you can backtrack, guys. You can do it now. Okay, so if you didn't do it then, make up for it, you know, and start on it now. You know, because that's a prerequisite. How did we get married without it, you know? I think we had $20 when we got married. Maybe. Did we have 20 I doubt it. We might have had 20 I doubt it. But we had very little. So he's been making up for it ever since, you know. So, um. Uh, like my pearls, like he told about last night. So, um, But anyway, another sign of something that happens when to get married is verse 24, 16. Genesis 24, 16. It says, the damsel was very fair to look upon. Now, this is the part I want you to get. A virgin. Neither had any man known her. So this is before you get married. The virgin part is before. And the reason I'm going to cover some things tonight, and I know everybody's life may not be that way today, but you know what? We've got a goal to set, and we've got an example to set, and we should be able to know what to tell other people that a marriage is. So uh, you can't just look at today's society to find out what marriage is. You've got to go back to what the Bible says a marriage is, because today's society, they say, okay, let's live together for a year, and if we make it living together for a year, then we'll get married. Well, I didn't find that in the Scripture anywhere. Because it says here, she was a virgin. And then verse 67, it goes on. The story goes on. And it says, then in um, verse 67, Isaac brought unto his mother's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. That's, I mean, she was a virgin, then she became his wife. So that should be your example. If you're trying to explain it to some youth, you can even take them to this. Tell them he's got to give you lots of gold and jewelry. And uh, then he's got to give your mother lots of gold and jewelry. And your brother, lots of gold and jewelry. And then you've got to be a virgin and then you can get married. So that's the foundation of when a marriage is. But the natural side of when a marriage is in today's society, you have a lot, a lot of young people. And it's like they are confused about when to get married. With marriage, it's supposed to be that you have a couple that um, they see each other across the room probably and begin to notice each other just a little bit. And uh, there's some physical attraction there or they are with them in a setting and they begin to uh, talk to them and begin to see attributes about them that they like. And they see things about them that they like. And so they begin to spend a little time together or they begin to talk on the telephone or they begin to write love letters or write love notes. But then what happens is. It moves mighty quickly from that point on. I mean, I've seen young couples today date, and it's like after the third date, they're almost in each other's lap. You know, and it's not to be that way. You get to know somebody. You spend time with that person. You spend, like Keith said, we dated four years before we got married, but we were young. You know, we got married two days out of high school anyway. But I think even with that four years, I told you all the trouble that we had. So, I mean, I know that there's people that's gotten married. I know of people that's gotten married in three weeks. You know, they've known each other. They've gotten married and they've supposedly had happy relationships. But let me warn you about people that say, we've never had a fight. (laughs) Then somebody's dead. (laughs) If you've never had a crossword with your spouse, then one of you is either asleep or uh, can't hear. That's a good one. You know, they didn't put their hearing aid on today or something, you know. And uh, so if you've never had any trouble, then there's problems with that because then you don't have any kind of relationship either, you know. So, I mean, if somebody's just 
asleep all the time, for lack of a better word. So, but when people spend a lot of time together and uh, they begin to want to be around each other all the time, every time you see them, they're together, you know, and they haven't gone so far as to uh, be sitting in each other's lap. You know, the Christian relationship, get to know each other, get to know their heart, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions about what God has called them to do. And then the more you're spending time with them, the more that you're fellowshipping with them, then you begin to see a side of them that you don't want to be without. And you get to a point in time where you're more together than you are apart. Well, then you start looking at, well, now it's getting time that we maybe should be married, you know, that you have to drive back home and, you know, I'm ready for you to stay with me all the time. Well, then you're talking about time to get married. Not a relationship where you're together for three weeks and then you fight for six weeks and then you're back together for three days and then you, you know, that kind of relationship I get concerned about because, I mean, if you can't stay together for a year dating, then how are you ever going to stay together for 40 years married? Y'all are mighty quiet on that, but it's a fact. If you can't stay together for a year dating, then how are you going to stay together 40 years married? Because when you're dating and you don't like something they do, you go home and you go in your room. But when you're married, married people, what happens when you have a fight? You go home and you go in your room and there they are. So where are you going to go? Especially most married couples, they don't have a very big place. So it's not like they can hide from the other person. You're going to be there with that other person. So, I mean, if you can't stay with them and have the opportunity to be apart from them when something doesn't go your way, then uh, there's no need in you getting married and thinking I'm going to change him or her when I get married. Because how many of you people in here that are married have changed your spouse? Now, show me again how many people in here is married. Uh huh. And uh, everybody in here that's married, answer my question. Can you change your spouse? It's impossible. But people go on these dating binges and these fun things and they think, well, I like everything about them but this. So when we get married, I'll be around them all the time and I'll be able to change that and fix that about them. Ha, 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 ha. It'll just be magnified. Because you'll be around it 24-7. And it don't change. The only thing that changes people is God. And so uh, that's the only thing that you can do is you can go to God and you can say, Hey, God, now that's your opinion that they need to change it. Remember that, you know. Uh, if it's okay with you and uh, they would have a desire to change it, I'd believe with them to change that, you know. But you can't pray against their will. They may like laying on the couch and eating potato chips and drinking Coke and being late for work every day. They may like that. Right? So why should you think that you're going to change them when a person has their will and they're going to be able to do what they want to do? You're not going to change them, you know. Say they're 50 pounds overweight. You want them changed. Well, when you get married, how many married people find it easier to gain weight married than you did when you were single? (laughs) It's going to go just the other direction because you settle down and you're not so much trying to impress everybody, you know. And lack of a better word, you just let it all hang out. You know, and there you are. So don't, I mean, if you're in here and you're single, okay, we're about to go on to something else. But when do you get married? 
when you can stay with somebody, I'm not going to say a set a time frame a year, but when you can stay with somebody for an extended period of time and be with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you're not uh, being uh, sexual with them or being lusty with them because you can't even hear from God in those situations because your flesh is screaming so loud. But when you're doing the natural right things to do, godly relationship, and you can stay with them for an extended period of time and you're not having a fight and breaking up every couple of weeks or every month, then let's talk about and see if you can stay together a little longer than that. And a little longer, then when you get to that point, then you'll be ready to get married. Married people agree with that? Yes, yes, yes. So, now we're married. Glory to God. Ow, or or what was the word? Oh, no. I'm serious, you guys. It's O-W-N-A-H, but it's pronounced O-Nah, and I think oh no, You know, O-Nah is Southern, you know, Southern people, nah, you know. <laughs> but uh, so, oh no, you know. So um, now you're married, okay? So here comes the fun part that Keith set up for me last night. Turn to Ephesians 5. Let's find out how we're supposed to be married. Everybody go ahead and take a deep breath. I'm ready for it. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Now, this is what God says a marriage is, okay? Not what the world says a marriage is. In today's society, they have not got one clue. Not got. That's a good southern term. Not got one clue about what a marriage is supposed to be. And that's where we have all been looking at what a marriage is supposed to be. And it's time we start looking at what a marriage is really supposed to be according to the word. Because I think I told our church people in looking at some stuff, I saw some research that said um, marriages in today's society last 7.4 years. Now, that's sad, isn't it? So why would we as a church base what we believe about marriage on a 7.4 ratio? We shouldn't. So let's really clear our conscience about anything that we've heard in the past or anything that anybody's told you in the past. And I mean, the worst even sometimes than the world is bad doctrine that people have told you. Let's look at what exactly the Bible says about what a marriage is supposed to be. Okay, y'all all there? And let's put it up, Jill, in the Amplified so we can really amplify it and get down to the nitty gritty of it. And if you have to grit your teeth, just go ahead. But no slapping your spouse and doing this number, okay? All right, here we go. Ephesians 5.22. Y'all ready? Okay. Get set. Like I say, get ready again. And go. What? Let's hear it. All the men said it. Not one woman said it. <laughs> Not one woman said it. Every man in the place said it. Not one woman said it. So, uh, okay, let's try that one more time, ladies. Okay. Wives. Okay. Amplified says, be subject, be submissive, and adapt yourself to your own husband as a service to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, Himself the Savior of His body. As the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands. What's the next word? 
They said it. They did better than you ladies. I'm sorry. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and faultless. Even so, husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and carefully protects it and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Because we are members or parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is very great, but I speak concerning the relation of Christ and the church. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self, and let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, she regards him, she honors him, prefers him, venerates him, esteems him, she defers to him, she praises him, and loves him, and admires him exceedingly. Boy, now that's good, isn't it? You ought to say yes. And you ought to know why. Because God is smarter than us. And if he put this in here, he's smart enough to know the results of doing it. He knows the results of everything he put in his word. Well, in saying that, if you want to turn there, you don't have to, but at the mouth of two or three witnesses, you can write it down. Colossians 3, 18 and 19 says the same thing. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So from that, I get that the husband is the head of the wife and the wife is the helper to the husband. Do y'all get that? I mean, that's scripture now. I mean, no need in getting bent out of shape about it because uh, what's going to happen is you're just going to be getting mad at God because he wrote it. So uh, husbands are supposed to love their wives, but wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. So the first question you get, and I have had it, I bet you if I've had it once, I've had it 500 times. The first question that most women ask is, when can I not submit? (laughs) There are times. There are times. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? That was a bad time to submit. For those of you who don't know about Ananias and Sapphira, he lied to the Holy Ghost and said he got so much for his property and he told his wife and they agreed to tell the Holy Ghost that. Got to church, he's dead. She comes in later and tells the same lie and guess what? She's dead. You know. So that's the time if you want to know when... You don't submit to your husband. It's when it's in total contradiction with the word. That's when you don't submit to your husband. Now, I've had women come to me. I remember specifically we were teaching on marriage at a church a long time ago. And this woman came to me and she was all upset because her husband told her she couldn't be at the church functions that were going on. 
And I asked her, I said, well, I said, Proverbs 31 says a Proverbs 31 wife says she takes care of the house and all the things in the house, you know. And uh, once you're married, you're supposed to be pleasing your spouse and not just the Lord anymore. So uh, I said, well, how much are you at church? Well, Monday night we have this and Tuesday night we have this and Wednesday night we have this and then Thursday we have this and then Friday it's our big social. And then, you know, so I'm home on Saturdays all the time. And so you see the scenario, people will use things to uh, get their way. I said, well, are you cooking? Well, no, 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 I don't have time. I have to be at church. You know, well, are you cleaning? No, 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 I don't have time. I have to be at church. So don't use God things as to when you're supposed to submit to uh, just get your way in things, okay? Uh, use the little common sense that we have up there sometimes, you know? So um, um, somebody laughed when I said that. Turn to Genesis 2.18. The husband is the head, and if you want to know where I found out that the wife is the helper, and Keith says that I'm his helper, turn to Genesis 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God, now that's God talking, right? I mean, he said this. It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper. How many of you wives found out your husband needs help? Y'all put your hands down mighty quick. It's a fact. God knew it from the very beginning. He hadn't created man that long. And he said, hey, man, you got to have some help, buddy. I'm telling you, you got to have some. So he created us in all of our glory and splendor. So we are the helper to the man. I know that in doing this kind of stuff, you really, really hit a sore spot. I know there's denominations and I know that there's religions and I know that there's things and I know that there's been some false things that's been done. And I know that there's been some men that have stood over their wives with baseball bats and said, submit to me. You know, and I know there's been major, 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 major problems with this stuff. We were coming up during that time and I used all those problems to not submit. And as I told our church one day, and I don't have to tell you all these stories, right? But I'm going to tell them to you anyway. Keith asked me one time, it was a story that I did something wrong, and he asked me, it was a real good illustration for what he was going to teach, and he says, can I tell that story tonight? I said, is it going to help somebody? He said, yeah. I said, go ahead. You know, total embarrassment to me, but, you know, it doesn't matter. If it's going to help somebody, I don't really care. So I'm going to tell you a little bit now about not submitting. I'm going to tell you how fun it is. Um, like Keith said, the first, I don't know, 12, 15 years of our marriage, we didn't keep a record of it, thank God. But, um, and we'll soon, you know, we've been together, like he says, probably 30 years by now. But, uh, the first many years of our marriage, I grew up with the impression that it was a 50-50 proposition, buddy. Because that's what I heard. You do the dishes and I'll do the floor. Where does the mitt come in, you know? I never heard submit, but it was the funniest thing that ever happened to me. And um, God, I think sometimes he really has a sense of humor where I'm concerned. Keith's up there at the altar praying for the Holy Ghost. I mean, for I had to be months, didn't it? 
weeks? It seemed like forever, I'm going to tell you, because the service would get out. And for those of you who don't understand it, this particular denomination, the ladies would go over here on this side and they'd all kneel on the altar on this side. And the men would all go over here on this side and they'd all kneel on the altar on this side. And um, the women would pray over here and the men would pray over here. And the service would be over. And most of the people's prayer lives were about five minutes. So that meant the service was over. Everybody would go up and pray for approximately five minutes. And then we'd all go home. Except for Keith. <laughs> Keith would pray. And he would pray. And he would pray. And I'd look at my watch. And, he, and I was not up there with those people. No way. No how. I was raised a different denomination than that. And that was not going to happen. And I'd sit back there and Keith would pray. And he'd pray and he'd pray. Well... Ninety percent of the people would leave, but you'd have probably five or ten men that um, really, really would stick in there with him and they'd pray with him. And this went on. He says weeks. I'm telling you, it seemed like it was months. I mean, and so finally one night, I don't know what happened, but I thought, okay, God, this has got to give. Okay, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to pray for him. And if it's anything that I am doing that's keeping him from getting whatever it is he's wanting to get over there, then if you could please help him with that, I'll do whatever I need to do to make my life right so that he'll go home. (laughs) So we can get out of here. Well, I did that. Well, I, in doing that, didn't realize it, but in doing that, I got saved that night because I genuinely turned my heart over to the Lord. And I said, Lord, whatever it is, and in the same thing, I didn't know it, but it was an act of submission even at that time because I was willing to do whatever it took so that he could get whatever he wanted, even though it was for a selfish motive. The heart was still there. So I got saved that night, and the specific denomination that we were in, Well, when you get saved, you get baptized immediately. And it was March. And it was cold. And it was in a pond. And it was one o'clock in the morning. And we went straight from the church and the little caravan and everybody from the church followed. And I got baptized that night. Well, what I didn't know is he'd been seeking the Holy Ghost for months. And... um, (laughs) I got filled with the Holy Ghost that night. And I thought for sure the Lord was going to tell me, I knew he was going to tell me, to quit wearing all my makeup and my jewelry and all these other things. But as you see, the servant gave the woman jewelry, you know. So um, I just knew that was what was going to happen when I got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But it wasn't. It was worse. Worse than never wearing pants. And for those of you who know me, It was worse than never wearing pants again. Because I never wear a dress. But when I went down, I started, the minister was out there, and when I walked through the water, it just felt like it was just warm water, just bath water. And the minister, I know he was just shivering. And um, when I went down, I came up and I started speaking in tongues. But before I got up, almost, what came to my mind and heart, I refused to tell Keith for almost a year. The Lord told me, now I get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the first thing the Lord tells me, submit to your husband. I had never heard that word before in my life, and I didn't want to hear it. I mean, why would he tell you that the very first thing when you get saved? So we go back to the our little 19, 
what, 69? Marriott Mobile Home. And we go inside, and we're in the bedroom, and we were supposed to be going. It's 1 o'clock in the morning already, but, you know, I'm, as he can tell you, wired for sound now. You know, and I didn't eat and sleep for days. And so some friends had invited us over to eat. And so I'm changing because I'm all wet, and he's saying, what did the Lord tell you? First words out of his mouth. (laughs) What did the Lord tell you? Oh, nothing. For, I don't know how long it was, at least a year probably. I don't remember the time frame, but it was a long time. I never told him that. So we went through the first 15 years of our marriage, me knowing. When I first got saved and then, I began to look at the scriptures about that. I looked at Proverbs 31, and I looked at the scriptures on submission and stuff, and I didn't like them, so I put them away. (laughs) Y'all have never done it. I put them away for 15 years. Just because you read something and just because you know something don't mean you're going to do it. So I got my way for 15 years and lived in misery for 15 years. Totally miserable. Keith, bless his heart. The patience, I don't know, it must have been the grace and mercy of God for the patience that he had. Don't mean we didn't fight, but he wasn't a quitter. And, I mean, I knew I was supposed to submit, and I'd rebel. If he said it was black, I would say it was gray just to spite him. These men are all laughing. I don't know why they're laughing. If he said, be ready to go at 7.30, I was quarter to eight every time. If he said, you know, don't talk about that. That's probably not a good thing to talk about. I'd start the conversation on it. Now, nobody else has ever done this, and I don't have to tell you that. But I mean, it's like I went to the opposite end of the spectrum on submission. And here he is trying to do, and all of our church people know, he is a scriptorian. He will have scripture for whatever he does. There will be scripture based. It'll be what the scripture says. So he's trying to do what the scripture says and tell me to submit. Which is wrong. And I'm trying to tell him, you love me, just like what he said last night. And I will submit. No, I wouldn't. It's a lie. Because people think if they get what they want, then they're going to do the right thing. But you're not. You're going to do the right thing because the word tells you to do the right thing. And if you don't respect the word and the Lord enough to do what he says, you're not ever going to respect your spouse enough to do what they say. And see, that's the problem with that. The problem with it is you've got a lot of marriages in today's society that women refuse to submit because just like me, I will never have my own identity. I will just be a little peon pushed down. I won't have any say about anything. Who will I be? Where will my place be? And uh, services would go on and they'd say, commit yourself to the Lord. Get down on your knees and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I'd refuse. Because I knew it would always come back to submit. Submit. And submission, like Keith has said, is never easy. But nor is not submitting. Now, what you have in today's society is you have 
a society where women refuse to submit, but men refuse to be the head. Men refuse to take the spiritual head of their households. So therefore, you've got a society that is totally messed up. Because how can we be the society that we're supposed to be when we're not even anywhere close to what the Bible says? Just the other day, we got a letter from a couple. We're moving to Branson to go to your church. The Lord spoke to my wife and told her we were supposed to do this. Well, that scares me. I mean, it is funny, but it scares me because I don't know how many of those kind of things we've gotten over the years. I mean, the girls have seen them. We have gotten them over and over. We have counseled with people. My wife prayed. She heard from God and our whole life is making a 180 degree turn and we're doing this now. Well, now, if I read this right in Ephesians 5, it said who was supposed to be the head? The man is supposed to be the head. Now, it's good for a woman to pray, and I pray, and I pray a lot. And what happens most of the time is I pray, and Keith prays, and we hear from God, and we come together, and the Lord has told us the same thing. And it's a real good confirmation for you when you've been praying and trying to hear from God. It's really good to know that your spouse got exactly the same thing and you hadn't even been talking about it. That's what a helper is for. That's what a head is for. To pray and hear from God. The head is like, okay, it says Christ is the head of the church. And this relationship is supposed to be that way, like Christ is the head of the church. So say this. Say that the Lord dealt with Keith to come to Branson. Okay? He's heard from God that we're supposed to move to Branson. Okay? So what happens then is he tells me, if I didn't get it on my own, he tells me that we're supposed to come to Branson because the Lord has directed him move to Branson. It isn't something that he got in his closet and dreamed up and said, I think I'd like to do this, or I think I'd like to have this, or I think I'd like to be this. God spoke to him and said, move to Branson. Okay? He tells me, then in my relationship with him, then I submit to him and I say, okay, let's load up and move to Branson. Okay, we're here now in Branson. We have a church now in Branson. God says, okay, Keith, tell the ushers not to um, do this or to do that. So Keith tells me, Phyllis, tell the ushers to not do this or do that. God spoke to Keith. Keith spoke to me. Then what do I do? I go to Dave and I say, Dave, tell the ushers that I don't want them coming down to the front right when Keith's talking anymore. Keith said that the Lord told him not to have them do that, that it's distracting. So the Lord told Keith. Keith told me. I told Dave. So what does Dave do then? Dave goes to Wayne, and he says, Wayne, tell your ushers when you have your meeting not to do such and such or to do such and such. And he tells all the ushers to do it. And then he comes out here to the service, and Rick decides he's going to do it, and Mo decides he's going to do it, but Larry, Vernon, nah, we ain't doing it. We ain't doing it. We refuse to do it. And then Brad hears what Larry and Vernon said, and he sides in with them, and they're not doing it. So the second half of the church is not even going to do what the first half is going to do. Are you fulfilling God's plan for this church? Are you doing what God said that he wanted done in this church? 
Well, see, that's where marriages get messed up. Is because, number one, the husband refuses to pray and hear from God. He refuses to take the time to spend time with the Lord and find out where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing, how long they're supposed to be doing it. If they're supposed to be here, they're supposed to be there. If they're supposed to give this, they're supposed to do this. He doesn't spend the time with the Lord. So nobody's hearing from God because God has a command of authority and he does things a certain way. It's no wonder they're messed up today. They have no structure. So what you've got in today's society is men that will not hear from God. Men that, and I'm not saying all men are that way. Thank God they're not. Our church folk and probably most of you in here, but I'm talking about the society on the outside and ministering to people. Refuse to hear from God. They refuse to get in their closet and find out what they're supposed to do. They refuse to even give God first place in their life, much less try to hear from him. So you've got a society where everybody is in the wrong place. And their lives are messed up. And that's why they last 7.4 years. Because nobody heard from God. And you've got the woman saying, and I'm not saying God won't ever tell the woman anything. He tells me stuff all the time. But I make it a point to keep my mouth shut. And then when he says, you know, I think we're supposed to go to Branson. You know, he can tell you, I don't know what happened in me. We were talking about it and we brought it up in the car. We were driving up here in my Jag one time. I said, I don't know what it is, sweetheart, but I am so excited about this. I can't even tell you what it is. I am just so, I could hardly talk. I was so excited I could hardly stand it. I kept saying, I don't even know what it is. I'm just excited. Well, would that confirm something that your spouse had? Would that be an assist to him? Would that be a help to him? Would that be an undergirding? It's like a bridge. Say your spouse is the bridge, but it ain't got no planks underneath it. It ain't going to stand very long. But if you can be a firm support, and you can pray, and you can hear from God, then the marriage relationship has a chance of standing. But what happens so many times is people don't want to hear from God. They want to do what I did and refuse to submit. Refuse to do the things that you know you're supposed to do. I tell you what, when I finally did do that, my life has been the most wonderful thing. And do I look like I'm beat down? My church people can tell you. Do I look like I'm hurt, you know, and I don't ever get to say anything? Now, what are y'all laughing about? See, all the church people know me well enough to know. It's not that way. It's just not that way. But it was this thing that the devil and I both had concocted in my mind that if I did what the word said, I'd never have what I wanted. And he will do his very best to convince you of that because he can keep you off track then. He can keep you off course then. And you'll never be able to get his best. But see, I did it. And y'all all are hearing about all the wonderful things that's been happening for Keith and I over the last several years. It's just been, I mean, like we've been living in heaven. I mean, how good things have been going for us financially, maritally, in every way of your life. But you've got to take the step to do what the word says. You've got to not be his will, not be her will, but be God's will. Not try to figure out, well, she wants it done this way and he wants it done this way. What does that matter? What matters is the way that God wants it done. And when you find out the way he wants it done, there'll be grace for her to do it. There'll be grace for him to do it. And it'll just all fall into place. 
But what you've got is people messing up and marriages falling apart and everything else because of that. So we found out now what and how a marriage is supposed to be. And i got to go on, y'all, because I'll be really midnight. So um, don't laugh. I'll keep going. So when you're in these areas and uh, the wife is supposed to be hearing from God, the husband is supposed to be hearing from God, then you have peace in your house. Because number one, God's first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you, including a good marriage. But what you've got is you've got the husband seeking like I was doing with Keith. Keith was doing his very, very best to serve God and put God first. He was reading. He was praying. He was getting lessons for five new courses at school. And I was working a secular job, coming in, turning on the TV, and refusing for any reason to pick up my Bible because I knew it would say submit. And you've got problems when you do that. One, growing spiritually every day and maturing spiritually every day and growing with God and trying to do the things that God wants them to do and the other person going and leaning more and more and more toward the world. There's no way you're going to come together. But if you start coming and reading the Word, and he starts coming in, and at Faith Life Church, reading your chapters every day, Monday through Friday, then you begin to grow, and you begin to come together, and you both be able to hear from God. And I thank God for His mercy, because for all the years that He put in the Word, and studying, and ministering, and all these things, God had to supernaturally turn me around, and grace me to be able to hear from Him, and be even close to being able to be a partner and a help to Him for all the years I got behind. Because you can't not feed yourself and grow. And if you're going to be a help to each other, you've got to do that. Because when you're at home, home should be a place that you go that's a place of refuge. Just yesterday or day before, um, somebody told us that uh, we'd never come down from our tower, so they never get to see us. It was a joke. But um, we said, we don't want to come down. It's too peaceful here. It's too quiet here. But I can remember a time that it wasn't that way. I can remember a time where the last place that I wanted to go was home. I'd stay at work as long as I could. I'd do whatever I could do to not be around because then you had less trouble. And ladies, that's what happens with men so many times. Men don't come home. They work late. They do this. They do that. Because when they do get home, there's a big argument on their hands. Are ladies the same way? Same thing I was doing, staying away and hiding from it. So the big question now is, why does it matter if I have a good relationship? Why does it matter that I take the time to submit? Why does it matter that I take the time to put God first, to submit to my husband? Why does it matter, men, if I take the time to hear from God and love my wife? Why does it matter? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> Say why. Yeah. All right, good. Turn to First Peter 3. We're going to get to hear a little bit more about the submitting and loving part. And uh, it's a lot of reading, but y'all just hang on. We're going to look at it on the screen again, Miss Jill, with the uh, Amplified. One reason it matters is because we as Christians, as pastors, as leaders, are supposed to be an example to the outside world. And in today's society, do you know how many ministers' marriages are falling apart? It's sad. But it all comes back to these one things. Something about that is not being done. 
the Ephesians 5. Something about First Peter is not being done. So how can we be an example to our church or to other people if we don't even have it right? So then the other thing is, most importantly, this First Peter 3. Is everybody there? We'll start at verse 1. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands. And let me clarify something there. That said, your what husband? Own husband. Don't try to base your marriage on what you think somebody else's marriage is like. You cannot please your husband pleasing another man. Men, you can't please your wife pleasing another woman. You've got to find out what your marriage is supposed to be like. I know of marriages where the husband wants dinner on the table at 5 o'clock every afternoon when he gets home. He wants to walk in the door to a clean house and supper on the table. I know if I cooked every day, Keith would probably be upset with me as much other stuff as we have going. He says, don't do that. It takes too much time to cook. It takes too much time to clean. Let's just grab something. Send somebody after something. Let's eat, you know. So every marriage relationship is different. Find out what yours requires. Talk about it. Find it out. Uh, but it says, to your own husbands, subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them. Adapt yourself to them so that even if they do not obey the word of God, they may be won over not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes to respect, to defer to revere, to honor, to esteem, to appreciate, to prize, and in the human sense, to adore him. That is, to admire, to praise, and ladies, don't just block this out of your mind. It's in there for a reason. To be devoted, to deeply love, and to enjoy your husband. Let not yours be merely the external adorning with the elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair and wearing of jewelry or changes of clothes, but let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and a peaceful spirit, which is not anxious or wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God. For it was thus that the pious women of old who hoped in God were accustomed to beautify themselves and were submissive to their husbands, adapting themselves as themselves secondary and dependent upon them. It was thus that Sarah obeyed Abraham following his guidance and acknowledging his headship over her by calling him Lord or Master or Leader or Authority. And you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. Now, verse 7 is what I want us to really look at, so everybody pay close attention to it. In the same way, you married men should live considerably with your wives, with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation, honoring the woman as physically the weaker. This part, look at it, get your Bible, find it, underline it. But realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace, God's unmerited favor... Of life in order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. Otherwise, you cannot pray effectively. Has anybody in here ever had a prayer that wasn't answered? Does it have anything to do with you just had a spat with your wife or husband today? Is it serious if we do what the Word says? 
Is it serious that somebody winds up with cancer and you don't even have faith to pray? Let's keep reading. Finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. Never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Now, I know this doesn't go on in anybody's house in here. Scolding or tongue-lashing or berating. But on the contrary, wise blessing. And I think Keith said this last night. I don't know if he realized it was in the Amplified this way or not. But on the contrary, blessing. Praying for their welfare, their happiness, their protection, and truly pitying and loving them. Next verse, next sentence. For know that to this you have been called, that you may yourself inherit a blessing from God. That you may obtain the blessing as heirs, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. For let him who wants to enjoy life and see good days, whether apparent or not, keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile, treachery or deceit. Let him turn from wickedness and shun it. Let him do right. Let him search for peace and harmony, undisturbedness from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts, seeking it eagerly. Now look at the next part. Do not merely desire peaceful relations with God and with your fellow man and within yourself. Pursue them. Go after them. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, those who are upright and in right standing with God, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil, to oppose them, frustrate them, and defeat them. Have you ever felt defeated? Have you ever felt frustrated? I took the time to look up the word evil. Because it says, if you do evil, the Lord's going to turn from you. Evil means anything that causes harm or injury to another person. Have we ever, as spouses, I know I did, caused harm or injury to Keith? Backlashing. Refusing. Having my own way and being miserable. It's very, very, very important that we... As pastors, as ministers, get our prayers answered. As people, as lay people, you got to get your prayers answered. What point is it is spending, like Keith taught on Sunday, prayer and fasting, and you have a fight and you're not even speaking to your wife for a week, what will happen? I think it said your prayers will be hindered and cut off. It's serious, guys. And it's no wonder that the devil has worked so hard on our marriages. Does it flip a light on in your head now? Why he's worked so hard to destroy everybody's marriage? Because he knows. I mean, he's not dumb. And he knows that if he can have Rick and Lisa fighting as much as they're getting along, and they're believing God for their list, everything on their list, but they're fighting as much as they're getting along, then what happens instantly with their list? Absolutely nothing. So people come into the church building and they want to know, why are they getting things on their list and I'm not getting things on my list? It might have something to do with your prayers being cut off. 
Now, I didn't write this. It's serious stuff. It's heart-checking stuff. It's not worth it. I think that was a conclusion that Keith and I came to in our marriage at some point in time. It's not worth the fighting. So then what you have a lot of times is you have one of the parties that just refuses to fight and the other one that gets their way, and that's not good either. you got to do what the Word says. That was all written in there. If you saw, I took the time to read it all. Wives submit. Husbands love. It all worked right there together. And the devil knows if you get teaching every day. And for those of you who don't know what a list is, we had a Vision Sunday and everybody put on their list things that they were believing for and we held them up before the Lord. And we've had a lot of people that's gotten a lot of things on their list. But we've had some people coming to us almost crying. Why am I not getting anything on my list? There's reasons why people don't get the answers that they're searching for. You just got to go back to the Word and find out what the answers are. I think, like I say, that was the reason that one thing that Keith and I finally came to the conclusion of. we got to serve God. Forget all this stuff. We've got to do what the Lord's called us to do. We don't have time for all this stuff. And it's not worth it for you to get your way. I mean, there's always opportunities. They go longer and longer the more you go. But especially when we first started getting turned around with this stuff, it would be like you'd almost have to just take your mouth and just squeeze it to keep it from saying something. Because you get inspired. By the devil. Because he knows that if he can get you to do that and he can get you to fight with your spouse, then he can hinder your prayers. He can totally stop you from getting that new dress or new purse or new house or new washer or or new car or new motorcycle or, or whatever it is that you're believing for. He can just cut it off just that quick. And he didn't have to do a thing. He just lets you run your mouth and get your way. So is it important Is it at all important that we have a good relationship with our spouse? We are heirs together of the grace of life. And if we want to get our prayers answered, we have got to get rid of all of our selfish, as Keith said last night, the number one problem is selfishness. Get rid of all of our selfish desires, male or female. Say male, you don't want to pray. Tough, quit being selfish, get in there and pray. Female, you don't want to submit. You know, tough. Get in there and submit. Set an example for your kids. They have no example in today's society. We've got to set one for them. So now that we know that, my next question is, who can do it? Who can do it? Let's look at everybody's favorite scriptures on this. Philippians 4.13. Everybody's favorite thing. Everybody could quote this one with me without even looking at it, probably. It says, I, say that. Read it with me. Can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And that may be what you have to stand on. You may have to bite your tongue and walk out of the room. And if you've got a very small place, get in the closet or go in the laundry room or go in the bathroom and shut the door and carry it in your pocket like I've taught our church on some things and pull it out before you and say, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. I can I can do all things. But he did. I can do all things. That's the only way it'll work because your flesh has been so used to doing the other for so long that it's going to want to do it. 
So you just have to rein it in and pull it in and read your scriptures. Another one. Um, Second Corinthians 2.14. You may want to write these down because I'm telling you, you're going to need them if you really sincerely try to make changes in your life. Second Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be unto God, which sometimes I win and sometimes I lose and sometimes I make it and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I just can't control that mouth. This has a mind of its own. No, always. Thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph in Christ. I personalize it. Always. And then 1 John 4, 4. You're going to need these. You don't think you are, but you better write them down. You're going to be looking for them. Where was that scripture she said about I can win? I can do this. I can keep my mouth shut. I can pray. I can hear from God. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Them may be your mouth. Maybe. Maybe your pride. Maybe your rebellion. You've overcome all those things. Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Do y'all believe any of that? So here's something else that I want you to think on and how you can help yourself and probably read this on a continuous and regular basis. Galatians 5.16. These are things that will help you do these things. Because I know everybody in here has made their mind up to do them and they're going to teach them to everybody else. So you're going to need them. Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a very good help to you. Look on down at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, the thing about it is, everybody thinks they don't have to do these things with their spouse. They do them with the rest of the world. But they didn't say to everybody but your spouse. It says you're supposed to walk in love and joy and peace with your spouse. But one other thing that I want to get across to you and then we're going to close is something that I don't know if a lot of people know is in the Bible, but it's definitely in there. And turn with me to Ephesians 4.26 and we're going to close with this. Anybody ever read that verse before? It says, be angry and sin not. So that means we can get upset in our marriage, but we don't have to sin. And then it says not to let the sun go down on our wrath. In other words, you can have a problem with your spouse. Never said you was not ever going to have any kind of problem or anything. But you don't have to sin in doing it. You don't have to say a bunch of stuff that you regret and have to apologize for later. You can be angry and sin not. And if you do sin... Then correct it before the sun goes down. 
because, you know, you don't like to think about these kind of things, but you hear it all the time about something happening to the other spouse or something happening to one of them. And, you know, you see people that are eat alive because they were having a fight with their other their spouse or with that person or a family member, a brother or sister or, or a mother or a father goes home to be with the Lord and you've had a spat with them and uh, you're not talking to them and they're gone and you can't fix it now. So it's not just talking about husbands and wives here. It's talking about anyone. Be angry and sin not. And if you do, you get it fixed before the sun goes down. Stand up with me. Let's take just a minute and be serious about it. If you're serious about it, you know what we're going to pray. If you're serious about it, let's pray it together and ask the Lord for wisdom and revelation. He said he gives wisdom uh, to us if we ask for it. So let's ask him for wisdom and grace and strength in order to do the things that we've seen here and in order to teach them to other people because we're just a handful in here and uh, we've got a whole world that needs to know this stuff. So um, I believe that there's a lot of us that are going to be examples to other people where this stuff is concerned. And so we got to get it right ourselves and because uh, you can't help anybody else unless you got it right yourself. So uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with it. Father, we just come to you now and you know each and every person's heart that's in here tonight, Father. You know if adjustments have been made. You know if light has been turned on. And I ask you, Father, from the bottom of my heart, don't let them be like I was. Don't let them turn it away. And know it's there and rebel against it. Give them the grace to stand and the strength to stand and do the things that you've called them to do, Father. I ask you for a supernatural anointing upon their lives to live out and walk out these things that we've seen here tonight, Father. I ask you that your word comes up boldly in them and strongly in them every time there's contention, that they remember that their prayers could be hindered, Father. I ask you that your anointing be upon them, that they live the kind of life that they are to live so that they could be an example to others, including their family and their children because that will win more people to you than anything else in the world lord we just thank you now that you're working in each and every one of our lives we ask you to continue doing that and raise your hand if you want to say this after me if you don't don't be embarrassed everybody should have their eyes closed their head bowed but lord i commit to you to do what i've seen in your word tonight I commit to make the changes that need to be made. I will do it with your grace and your ability. And I will begin to have every one of my prayers answered. Because I'm walking in love. And I'm walking in submission. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.